You're listening to the Bill McIntosh Show. Let me first go to Roseanne Boylan, Kevin Greeson, Benjamin Phillips. These are the other people besides Ashley Babbitt who died that day. Brian Sitnik did not die that day, and that's another topic we have to immediately, shortly look at. How did Roseanne Boylan die? In your opinion, what was who was responsible? Roseanne Boylan approached the Lower West Terrace Tunnel entrance to the Capitol. He appeared just to be following people up into the entrance. There was no there was no rush. There was no violence in this group. Other groups that had gone into that tunnel did get violent with the police, but she walked in and stood there for maybe two minutes and the police unleashed some sort of gas and you can see it on video it's not super apparent it's not like like fog tear gas or something coming out of there but whatever it was it replaced the oxygen in the atmosphere in that space and the witnesses i talked to said we could not suck in a breath we we couldn't and you're going to lose consciousness real quick so they panicked they turned around and you can see it the the push out and so you had humanity just spilling literally out of this tunnel. People fell. Roseanne was one of the first to go down. And it was like a human waterfall. And pretty soon, all the way down the steps, you may have had 30 to 50 people stacked on top of each other, four or five deep. And Roseanne was at the bottom. She Snappy. was right at the very, yes, the very, the very corner of the tunnel. Now, she was pressed more than stampeded. But, you know, the result really is the same. Exactly. And yeah, so she lost consciousness. Uh, there was a fellow, Philip Anderson, who was holding her hand under all this this mess, and he said he he felt her go limp. You know, he was trying to comfort her because while well, she still had some breath, she somebody please help me, I can't breathe, and that, a lot of people were were crying out at that point, and the police were beg, you know, the 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 people who weren't trapped were trying to rescue them were begging the police to stop pushing stopped pushing the crowd out and they kept pushing and kept piling it up and you know eventually they did untangle the pile uh, and then they kicked out a couple of of rather large men right on top of her so they had to they had to disentangle that as well wow and at that point roseanne is is pulseless she is not breathing and uh, a short time later for reasons Nobody knows except the officer who isn't speaking. Uh, a Metropolitan Police Department officer uh, used a walking stick that she took off of a protester, and she beat Roseanne. She beat her in the ribs, and she beat her in the head. And I mean two hands over the head like you're at the, at the county fair trying to ring the bell. And uh, Unbelievable. You know, and by yeah, the way, you know, excuse me, uh, Joseph, that was after – I guess people were, had pulled off those other individuals, those big individuals that were on top of her, right, or against her. Yes. So, yes. I mean, what's the point of that? What's a gratuitous beating and a violent one? Well, the strange thing was that uh, Luke Coffey, who had stepped right in front of the police, and, and he said to be a buffer between warring parties. He was He had gone there and was trying to tell people to pray and to, and to stop what they were doing, 
uh, and Roseanne was right at his left foot, and he took that crutch and he actually pushed the police line. I mean, he moved six, seven officers, all of them. He pushed them all back. It was it, the, the people that saw that said they, that was superhuman strength. Uh, and when he did that, the bystanders rushed up and they grabbed Roseanne's arms and they dragged her down the, the steps and started CPR. Because Incredible. up till that point, she was getting no no life-saving support. And then they started doing CPR. Amazing. Okay, so that was a – what a tragedy that was. And then the gratuitous violence of that person who obviously must have known. I mean, she, you know, she, she's lying down, I guess, face down or face up. It must have been face up or what? Uh, she was on her side. And Lila Morris, uh, the officer, um, was swinging so hard and fast – that after the three hits, she was going for a fourth hit, and she uh, she swung so hard the stick flew out of her hand, and it bounced off the ceiling and, and landed somewhere else. But she then continued to swing with nothing in and her hands. Yeah, and I mean and it's her, obvious. I mean, oh. what's the point? She's basically sort of like de facto torturing her to move on, and she's unconscious. Yeah. And just she absolutely dragged, appalling. She was literally, literally dragged into the tunnel by other officers uh, and she collapsed and we've, we've got her video and she went into histrionics and uh, I can't breathe. And, uh, you know, wait, uh, that's the officer, the, the, the officer. officer. Yeah. Oh, okay, yes. good. So she, she began to play victim herself. Yes. Oh gosh. Yes. On and cue. Very good. On the, on the video. How, path but, uh, how Roseanne, pathetic. Roseanne, yeah. Roseanne, uh, eventually, the, her, her would-be rescuers, uh, there were about six men that were trying to defend and help her, carried her right, and they put her down right in front of the police line. And one man continued to do CPR. The rest of them said, here, they basically said, here, help her. And eventually, one of them grabbed her arm, and they dragged her in. It, it was pathetic. I mean, I, I, in the film, I liken it to dragging a carcass, a deer carcass out of the woods. Uh, be, that's what it reminded me of. And no care. Wow. Didn't even lift her uh, above the ground. They dragged her, and she lost a lot of her clothing. Um, but once she passed inside the building, there were FBI special ops, you know, SWAT people in there. They immediately, and I mean, as soon as they saw her, they started doing uh, CPR. They got uh, defibrillator paddles. She got first class, very aggressive help, but, you know, she was already dead. Had had she gotten oh. in there sooner or if they had gone out or if the police that were in the tunnel had done the same thing, you know. Or if they hadn't, excuse me, if yeah. they hadn't, if a, a police officer hadn't bashed her in the head like a, like an absolute goon, right? I mean, is that inaccurate? To make that statement? No, that's I, I don't. There's, there's no, there's no explanation. I don't think there's any justification for that. When this, this poor woman had been laying there lifeless for, for at least five minutes, she hadn't, she hadn't so much as twitched the muscle. She was not a okay. threat to anyone. So. Wow. Another, another. Uh, Ashley Babbitt, basically. Then, what happened? Like, let me go on and ask about um, Kevin Greeson. It's one of the other victims, right? Yeah, Kevin Greeson and Benjamin Phillip had very similar stories. 
they were out in the crowd and this uh, on the on the west side this was a very tightly packed crowd and it was there were a lot of people there and this was right at the time when the police decided they were going to use um explosives you know they were going to toss out flashbangs and dispersion grenades um you know some of which emit tear gas others in you know fire out uh, plastic pellets uh and this is on top of officers who were standing above and firing uh, rubber bullets from rubber bullet basically rifles uh, and both of them were in near proximity to an explosion from one of these incendiaries and uh, one of the problems when you're lobbing these things from above is they were tending to explode at head level and we've got some clips of that in the film you can see it's even just above head level uh, when they start to burn and then boom right at like literally at eye level and one witness said they they saw Greason struck by some sort of a projectile. Um, oh, that could have done it. Site, I, yeah, I mean it. It could be a triggering event. Both were ruled natural causes because they both had severe heart disease. But um, you know that kind of an explosion, and and these these things knock people off their feet. That's that's how powerful some of these are. You'd see a group of uh, four or five people go down when one of these would explode. Uh, so you know, you, you would logic would tell you that uh, there's a there's at least a possibility that was a precipitating event, and and both of them went into almost immediate cardiac arrest. Wow. Neither could be resuscitated. So I mean, those oh, so the- those those two would you know. Clearly, uh, considering that that use of, of the dispersion grenades, uh, and our, again, our use of force experts said there, there was no tactical reason to do that. They did not uh, have have a, a tactical goal here. It was punished pure punishment. That's how he put it. He called it a shooting gallery, and uh, he said it was it was uh, reprehensible. I think was the word he used. Wow. So, um, and by the way, I mean, is this, I have read, I wonder what your take is on this or what you've been told and what you've learned, um, taught, you know, investigating this and, and, and if proper procedures were followed. But my understanding is, is that using some of these devices, rubber bullets, and I don't think they use rubber bullets, but some of these types of devices can, can, can be fatal if they're, if they, they, you're, you're hitting the head with it from a certain range, you know, it can be lethal, right? Yes. In fact, I have a story that will be coming out shortly profiling a gentleman from Pennsylvania who was shot point blank in the leg by a 40 millimeter shell uh, that exploded and it shattered his femur. He ended up having to have rather complicated surgery, uh, about a foot long titanium uh, pole, but a, uh, titanium uh, implement with fourteen Prophesis. screws to hold his yeah his oh yeah the, 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 and that's that I mean that's a devastating um, injury you know I mean it that took him that six, six months to be able to walk and uh, you know we're we're sorting through video trying to identify which officer because uh, there were some that were wielding those things uh, like a handgun or or a short rifle. And what the manufacturers of most of these things say, if you're under 30 feet, you risk 
uh, killing people, that they are not meant for close quarters. Uh, you know, now they do make some things that are for closer quarters use, uh, like you know, foam bean bags, projectiles, bean bags, things like that. But uh, you know, this one uh, struck him with such force that you know, of course, we'll never know exactly what it was, but. Uh, virtually all these shells have a warning from the manufacturer that if you use them a shorter distance than 30 to 40 feet, you risk uh, serious injury or death. So the, you know, in, in walking across the police line, and we we have a video of an officer doing that, shouting and wielding this like he was about to fire on people that were five or six feet away from him. Oh my gosh! If, and, uh, they, and, and how fast do they travel per second? What's their muzzle velocity? Do you know? I wonder. I don't know. It depends. That's okay. On the, That's not not to put you on the spot because I mean, you know, you're not well, you know, somebody works. If it hits you in the head, it, it very it very likely would kill you at that kind of a distance. According okay, to give you compound uh, fracture. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, I think these things have they have some significant uh, velocity. It's not like a bullet, but sure. So. Um, you know, there's another issue here that and, and we've been kind of like dancing around it, which is the whole topic of entrapment. Did the ABC agencies like the FBI um, use any type of entrapment or did in conjunction with the Capitol Police, in conjunction with anybody, you know, is there any indication that there, there might have been entrapment, anything in, disturbing indications that mean that we really need to dig deeper and they raise a lot of questions and a lot of eyebrows about possible well, entrapment. Presence, yeah, the mere presence of all these suspicious actors, if they were put there that day by anyone in government, that immediately raises the specter of entrapment for, for everyone. Now, we, we don't have evidence at this point, uh, but we are, in, you know, the defense attorneys are also working at identifying these people uh, you're going to start using some of the same technology that, that the FBI uses to identify people, facial recognition. Um, if, if they are tied to, and we know the FBI had agents embedded in the crowd. We know that the uh, Metropolitan Police had uh, people dressed like reporters and videographers embedded in the crowd. And we know there was actually Army, regular Army Special Forces from Fort Belvoir uh, nearby who were embedded around the Capitol. Uh, and at least according to Newsweek, they had shoot-to-kill authority. Uh, they didn't shoot-to-kill that day, but they had that authority. That raises a serious issue of the Posse Comitatus Act, where using regular military for law enforcement domestically is strictly prohibited. Uh, and so that's a, a big, big question that has not been answered and one that I suspect is going to come up in more than a few trials. Uh, we have a video from a gentleman, a journalist originally from Michigan. Uh, we should, he, he is certain that they are both FBI agents. One of them is pulling the glass out of one of the windows and telling him and others, why don't you break out the rest of it here and, and go on in? And, and yeah, gosh. Who, this this bothered people. Yeah, yeah, and there was another fellow again, dressed dressed exactly how you'd expect uh, an agent to dress or law enforcement. 
uh, holding open the Columbus doors, the inner ones, with a long wooden pole. And so he stood there for for quite a while, holding the door open and pushing some people into the into the foyer, including the the cameraman that that took the video of it. And eventually, you know, he got he got a puff of uh, tear gas in his face, and and that took him out. But he had been there for quite a while. And Bobby Powell is the the cameraman. He has been on a crusade ever since to try to get uh, law enforcement to take his video. And he reported it immediately to the FBI, and uh, they, they've not gotten back to him. And uh, he's tried he's tried giving it to all sorts of lawmakers, and it's it's like it's too hot to handle. But uh, we use his video in the film, and, and I've written about him as well. It's uh, you know we we just don't know who these people are, and they're not being sought. They're not on any list. They're not on the FBI site. They're not on sedition hunters. So who are they? Well, so many, so many questions. Been, yeah. You know, when I first wrote about January 6th, back in, in December and January, uh, I called it a legacy of troubling questions. And that title still fits perfectly, and even more so, because the troubling questions pile has just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. Right. So then um, there were supposedly suspicious people – changing out of their clothes and into red colored clothing that you'd associate with Trump supporters, mega supporters, you know, you've seen those. I've seen, I, I don't that, know if seen that video. And there were some inside the Capitol that were changing as well. Uh, in fact, Zachary Alam, uh, when after actually Babbitt was shot, he opened his backpack and appeared to be changing his shirt. Um, so I mean, there were, there were at least a few anecdotal instances of that, which again raises suspicions. Uh, who were they? What were they doing there? And they were changing out of Trump colors. So, uh, you know, that you you add all this stuff up, and it just it's a it's a cauldron of stink. Yeah, absolutely. And and so, um, what what bothers so many people is getting back to men and women that are still hold up in what has been reportedly, you know, very, very difficult uh, conditions in the D.C. jail. And it seems to me utterly um, reprehensible, given the fact that despite ongoing um, long-term nightly attacks on the Portland Federal Courthouse, those people, I mean, you know, maybe some of them did time, but that was just an ongoing thing whereby they would be released and they'd be out the following day, uh, you know, doing do, doing damage or trying to burn it down or fire industrial-sized municipal fireworks at the, the building. I mean, unbelievable, you know. Uh, there's such a double standard, you know. Yeah, they did things like aim green lasers at, at FBI agents to try to blind oh, them and uh, firebombing the, the courthouse which that, by definition, the courthouse was closed for quite a while, interrupting an official government proceeding. The very charges, uh, felony charges used against many of the January Sixers for delaying uh, congressional counting by six hours. Uh, you had cases of weeks and weeks where the courthouse in, in Portland was closed because of the firebombing. So it, you raise a very valid point, and, and defense attorneys are, have tried to raise that. 
so far to no avail. It hasn't convinced any of the D.C. judges, but um, these these things may get a different look once they they are pushed up the, up on appeal, probably to the Supreme Court because the, the D.C. appeals court, uh, you know, a lot of people expect that to back up what's been done by the D.C. Uh, district court judges. But uh, right. you know, there's a lot of the, the, the defense lawyers are playing uh, playing appeal right now. They're they're laying the foundation because they just don't feel they're going to get a fair trial. Right, and so then we look at the the whole uh, the pillars of of national government, the presidency, this legislative legislative branch, the judicial branch. Um, is it pretty clear that that I mean, is it would you say it's irrefutable that the White House tried to get National Guard units on hand to be able to, um, you know, protect the Capitol or Pentagon assets or something, whereby so that there would be some sort of a uh, manpower just to be able to to block access? Yes, we, we deal with that in, in the later part of our film. Uh, Cash Patel, who was the chief of staff to the uh, acting defense secretary at the time, Chris Miller, he lays out what happened in very, very plain, simple language. Uh, so on January 3rd, there was a meeting uh, in Trump's office in the White House, and it was on some other topic. There was some sort of military operation going on overseas. But when they were done talking about that, uh, President Trump said uh, one more thing, and he brought up January 6th and asked about what the plans were. And he said, well, if you need National Guard, troops, I authorize you to utilize up to 20,000, uh, not just in D.C., anywhere they're needed, but up to 20,000. Uh, and he gave them that verbal authorization, which Cash Patel said that the, the Defense Department then took that. Um, and under U.S. law, again, the, the National Guard uh, cannot be ordered into D.C. or any state by the president. They have to be requested by the head of state, you know, the governor, or in this case, it's the mayor of D.C., Muriel Bowser. And she was offered the troops per the president's offer, and as were the Capitol Police and, and Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell, who oversee the, the sergeants at arms in, in each house. And, uh, and nobody took him up on that offer. And, uh, you know, you, you see that rather disingenuous attempt to, to, to muddy the waters by uh, Liz Cheney, who said, kept repeating, you know, well, the president didn't order the National Guard. Well, no, he didn't, because that would have been he a can't. violation of law. Right. Of course, he so, constitutionally can't, but which is just so dishonest to make a statement is. like and, that. And, yeah, and that I think that shows you the 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 lengths that uh, that that committee is going to to lay down a narrative, and you know that's that would have been more than adequate force uh, had had they accepted that oh, yeah. and put put in you know and they probably would have put up different barriers, uh, you know heavier barriers than these flimsy bicycle racks and that was uh, a joke. So yeah, so the offer was there, it was approved. And it was officially rejected, and um, and Muriel Bowser, in fact, put her rejection letter out on Twitter. You can still find it. Um, and these things were also noted in the Inspector General's report on January 6th, uh, the Defense Department. So the, the record is very clear, uh, but it took a while to for that to get laid down. There was a lot of 
a lot of bad information floating around about that, claiming that uh, President Trump was indifferent. And when, in fact, Cash Patel quoted him saying, I want this to be a safe event for everyone. And that's why he offered the, the, the troop level that he did. That's what Trump said, right? Yes. Try it.